Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. My name is Andrew Frezza, and I'm joined again by one of our coaches, Coach Austin Bettigrew. Had some good feedback from the last episode, so decided to let him come back on again and uh, give you guys some good info, some good knowledge. And I wanted to have him on here today because we're gonna be talking about how to build a book of business. Um, we're mainly thinking about, for coaches, trainers out there, um, building a book of either programming business, so either remote in-person type of programming or personal training. Those are the kind of two main tracks that we're thinking about with this book of business, all right? And we wanted to really talk about it because I think a lot of our gyms, our group classes are limited right now because of COVID restrictions, but the personal training really isn't. And actually there might be a better opportunity now for personal training and personal programming, especially because that could be done in a remote setting. Um, but there's a, a bigger opportunity now because a lot of people actually are probably more likely to feel comfortable in a one-on-one -on -one environment versus being around a lot of people. So um, I think that's something that coaches can really focus on. They don't have to wait for things to get good again to start building that back up and start doing that today. So. Um, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, just initial thoughts on now being a good opportunity for building things up? Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing, just because there, I mean, we know as a gym right now, like we still have people who are doing our remote track, but it's simply because they don't feel comfortable coming into a group class yet. However, when we do something like, hey, let's meet at the park and work out, those simple guideline switches of like, hey, now I'm gonna have a space, um, we're outside, they feel comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. And we've already had a couple um, PTs get booked in the past couple of weeks where they're like, yeah, we're just comfortable right now only doing PT. And I mean, what a better time to promote that if you guys don't currently have it in your business or it's not something you guys were taking as seriously. Um, not only to help the business out, but to help individuals out who want training who just aren't yet 100% comfortable with the given circumstance. Yeah, another, another factor to think about now is um, kids in schools, a lot of their activities aren't the same. So parents are looking for ways to get their kids active. So that could be a small group uh, kids class, a small group sports specific training class, or some one-on-one -on -one training. We've had a few of those clients uh, walk through the doors over the last month. So um, cool, so let's talk a little bit about how we think this needs to happen and what some of the missing pieces are for trainers out there that we see both within our gym we definitely can improve still and, and outside the gym as well and the biggest one that i still see is is sales yeah um, i think sales is the the biggest missing link for most trainers so what is what does that look like for you what does that mean to you yeah so yes i 100 percent agree agree but i also think that people look at sales in the wrong way. I think people look at sales as what they think in their head is closing, which to yes. me are two completely different things. Um, I know a lot of salespeople use the term like always be selling, and I don't think that could be any more true for what we do in here. Um, how you guys carry yourself in group classes, how you guys walk in the door every single day is you selling yourself as a service. So if you guys are taking, you know, you're showing up maybe late to class, you're, you know, drinking your coffee while you're coaching someone, like, that is you not selling. Um, so the way I look at selling is any opportunity that I'm in front of a potential client and everyone who's in the gym is a potential client, I have to be selling if I wanna make them eventually my personal client. Um, where I think people, like I said, where they make the mistake is they're thinking of the close, that last little bit of a conversation to actually, you know, where money becomes involved. Yep. Um, which is 
it, that's a struggle in its own self, but the selling part of it is actually super easy if you wrap your mind around what we actually do is selling, yeah. um, which is everyday coaching. <laughs> yeah, and the thing that I think a lot of trainers could, could do better is getting better at creating deeper relationship connections inside the gym that would lead towards the pain points um, that would be necessary to solve in a one-on-one -on -one training environment coming to light in those conversations. And I think a lot of um, group class facility trainers are great at creating a more of a surface level relationship of that person likes to see me every day, they like my personality, um, we get along, we have fun, we can shoot the shit. But when it comes to the uncomfortable conversations, not even uncomfortable, like you're, you're, um, you're having to like confront them about something, yeah. but just like asking about something that is more than surface level. I think a lot of coaches are resistant to ask about that. And I think that there's in any given class, any given interaction, uh, another person is giving you these little windows of opportunity to step into that. If you're a little bit curious, you can open the door. So I would say probably the biggest thing trainers can have is just a curiosity, a genuine yep. curiosity about their clients and the ability to ask good questions. And if they do that, they're gonna come down to these pain points that they realize they might have an ability to help solve. Yeah, and to touch back on what the whole thing's about is there couldn't be a better time than right now because the class sizes are much smaller. So in a normal class setting, let's say a normal class setting is 25 people, and let's say your goal is to get 10 touch points per person, per class, mm -hmm. it's gonna be hard to dig that little extra bit. But let's say our classes now are capped at 16, that number now can jump up into like, you know, 15 touches per person. So you, got, you guys are given this extra opportunity to dig a little bit deeper, ask more questions, create more of a relationship, which in the end just makes the closing part of this a lot easier. Yeah, and I wanna talk a little bit about the money because I think it's easy to just say, okay, we're in COVID, let me just make this blanket statement that, okay, finances aren't as good for a lot of people, but for a lot of people, their job hasn't changed. For some people, they're traveling less, so actually their expenses have come down, um, or potentially they're working from home and maybe they've worked out a situation where um, they can make more money because they're weighing down the business less. Um, stock market's doing pretty well as, as a general rule. So like most people, the people that lost a job or had a, had a, a big life-altering circumstance certainly are in a worse spot, but the ones who didn't, probably have more disposable income now and that's and again that's not your decision to make either right so if if someone has a pain point and you find that out and you have a cost of a service then you're you're presenting something that's very black and white and it's ultimately up to them to decide if they want to take advantage of that or not and and trying to make that decision for them is not useful to anybody yeah and and i think building on that in the money term because you feel bad you cannot discount yourself and I, I think I see that a lot where it's like in turn where you're like okay I need to make a living too and you'll you'll take this COVID situation into account and you're like okay maybe I should instead of being $100 an hour PT now I'm going to be like 50 because I want to be the good person and what that's going to do is burn you out so quickly that you're not going to make any money and you're not going to want to do this for the rest of your life anyway so um, as a coach like you need to be as picky now about the clients you select than you ever were. There's just more opportunity for you guys to get more clients right now, so. Yeah, and it, it's easy to see, hey, I can make this if I were to sell this, this person on this package, this programming, 
But once you get a month or two in, that novelty goes away really quickly. And you quickly learn, okay, do I actually enjoy working with this client? And um, that's really where the money is made is because once you do find those home run clients where you enjoy working with them, you're able to get to see them good results, then you find more clients like that and, and you start to really build that flywheel versus just if you're too focused on the money, you tend to try to convert clients that really aren't a good fit for you. Um, and then, you know, within a couple of weeks, it, it just becomes a battle and you're not really happy doing what you're doing. I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I made when I really started to, to dive into this was the, the selling part for me is, was kind of natural and the money conversation to me, I didn't mind. So getting someone to buy a package wasn't that big of a deal. And I, I, um, I mean, PT is just a side of what I do as a coach. Like I do a lot of group classes still, and that's still like my favorite thing to do. But I think like at the um, main peak of how many PT clients I had, I think I had like 16 or 17 that were like on some sort of package um, with me. And one, that, that is a lot of work, throwing it on top of the work I already had. But two, out of those 17 people or whatever it was, I really only enjoyed working with maybe like eight <laughs> and the other ones were I was doing it because obviously they paid for a service but that's in turn making it not fun for you and then also are you really going to give them the best results if you don't enjoy doing it or are they going to be kind of like the last thing you're going to worry about and what was happening for me and which I told most of them like hey I, I don't think we should continue after this which like I don't enjoy doing it and it ended up being the last thing I worried about when it came to programming. I would program the people that I loved because I was like so in, involved in it. And then the people who like, for me it's the people who want to be like competitive. Um, I had a couple of those and it, it's just not something I love to do. So I felt myself like doing it last or like getting to it last, paying attention to it last. Where the biggest thing for me was like, okay, I need to find who I feel like I can help the most. Mm -hmm. um, what special thing I can do. And then let me find those athletes or find those clients and then I can actually dive deep on them um, instead of like trying to help everyone because no matter what you do, you can't help everyone even if you think you can. Um, so yeah, I, I, once I figured out who I could help and how I could help them and then what do I actually enjoy doing, that was a super easy process for me to be like, okay, I, I don't think I should work with you guys anymore. But then this group, like I really wanna dive deeper with you. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to the money standpoint, like if that's the case, like you should feel comfortable charging a certain amount because you know the service you're about to deliver to them and hopefully it's well exceeds the money they're paying. Um, that's, that's always the goal, so. Yeah, let's, let's stay on that a little bit. So you said you found out that you didn't really like working with a super competitive client. Mm -hmm. um, who do you really like working with? Who do you want to take on? moving forward who are you excited to take on yeah my favorite type of um athletes to take on are the people who are literally doing this to create a better life for themselves physically and mentally um so the people that i program for now are maybe like someone who's had a nagging shoulder injury for years they're trying to get out of that pain um or even accountability that has nothing to do with the the work outside of it they do the workout here but then the outside of it um, they need a little guidance. Uh, maybe that's with nutrition or sleep or whatever we happen to be tracking with the individual. But uh, for me, it's just making someone have a better, well-rounded life. Um, and that could be in you know, the, the categories I was just talking about. Whereas the people who wanted to do the little bit of extra, like I'm, at, you know, I'm, a, I'm a B athlete, I want to be an A athlete. Like mm -hmm. To me, it's like 
I don't know. I, I don't like doing it because it's like I know in the back of my head like this is not sustainable. Um, I'm just adding volume, et cetera, et cetera. For, so for those reasons, not saying it's a bad thing if someone has goals to be a competitive athlete, it just didn't fit me um, as a coach. So I, I definitely mold with the people who just are doing this for a better life <laughs> a lot better. I also think you have a good niche with like younger athletes and yeah. ones that want to train for sport. Um, and I think from my viewpoint, I think it's because one, you are a younger coach so they can still relate to you. Um, you're good with the programming side. You understand, okay, if I have a soccer player, this is what that person's trying to achieve. If I have a baseball player, it's, this is what they're trying to achieve. Um, but I think that you, you serve as a mentor for, the, for a lot of them to aspire to be like. And I think a lot of the, the parents that are signing up their kids are saying, well, this is, this is someone I would love for my kid to grow into to yeah. be like. And I think that's what a lot of parents are paying for. Yeah. And yeah, I guess I, I do have um, a couple teenage, you know, high school, college level athletes right now that I work through. And I guess those would be my exception to the athlete rule. Um, but I think that's still a little bit different in the sense that they are um, athletes towards a given sport, um, not so much like what we do in here, which um, being a competitive crossfitter versus a competitive soccer player are going to have their differences in as far as like injuries and you know, little bumps and bruises and things. And I feel a lot more comfortable with giving an athlete work than right. I do like programming like muscle-ups for reps and snatches with weight and things like that. Right, especially when you have an athlete that doesn't have kids, family, job, <laughs> they've decided yeah. that this is gonna be my focus for the next four to six years. And they sort of know the sacrifices that come with that mm -hmm. versus an adult. It's, it's a very fine line where you're constantly working about on, yes, we wanna get you better, but how does this sacrifice other things, yeah. put those things at risk that you really want in your life as well, and those obligations that you have outside the gym. Yeah, I agree. Um, so the next thing we wanna talk about was, and we've touched on a little bit, but just over-delivering to the clients you already have. And the one of the biggest points I've tried to get across to our coaches over the years is that a lot of coaches don't feel like they have any clients, okay? And you have clients already in your group classes, those you should look at as your clients, even if they've never paid you for a one-on-one -on -one service. And then a lot of gyms out there are doing some kind of small group or one-on-one -on -one fundamentals. We do a 40 days to fit program where all of our new members start with personal training. And if you look at that as, well, I'm simply getting this person to group classes, then you're gonna approach it a very different way as if you said, this is my personal training client and I'm gonna make sure that they have this amazing sort of like concierge have their hands held for their first 40 days and on day 41 if they are a good fit for personal training like it's going to be a no-brainer to go into that and i would start to look at the resources you already have in people you're working with in classes or one-on-one -on -one to say how can i over deliver with these people to hopefully turn that into more yeah and that to to kind of make that even more real the out of all the clients I've worked with one-on-one, -on -one, I think I've actually done the sales process on one. And every other one has come because of that sale or a different sale or a different mm -hmm. sale. They've all come because of either results that Cindy Lou had or they just heard good things from Cindy Lou, you yeah. know? And I think what, what people see is like, I'm just gonna be in this like sales loop forever. And I don't think that's the case if you do your job and you do it really, really well and you take every session with them very seriously. And then to go on to what you were saying, 
Um, if you're like a group coach who just doesn't think they can sell PT, like I think you have to look at it like every class you're trying to sell PT. Um, you can give them that one extra cue. You can dig a little bit deeper on what, what they're doing outside of the gym mentally, and they're going to start asking questions. And when you start asking questions, you get conversation, and the conversation can lead to something further. I just don't think we give ourselves enough time um, to do that, nor do I think um, coaches have enough patience currently to do that. They're thinking of like, all right, the next class I have to coach is this. The next thing I have to do is this. Mm -hmm. They're already like two hours down the road instead of being 100% present in that moment. And I think a lot of sales are slipped through that way. And then when you said the, you know, we have a 40 day to fit um, program, which is like essentially six PT um, chances they, they get to eventually sell more PT if they think the athlete needs it or if the athlete thinks they need it, like mm -hmm. regardless. Um, and like you said, it's, they're thinking of like, I need to get them moving, you know, correctly so that when they get into the group class, they're not a hindrance to the coach and every other athlete in yeah. there. But, you know, that, to us and like as we try to explain to the coaching staff, how they move is like, I mean, you're basically just introducing them to the movement. You're not going to be able to make them move perfect after one session right. of anything. So you have to understand that that coach is going to have to do work in class and that's what they're there for. Um, but what you need to do is make them, you know, 100% committed to changing their life for the better in nutrition and um, whether whatever they're doing outside the gym, the workout in general, and molding their mind around that, and then they're going to realize what we offer, and then what we can also offer beyond this, and et cetera, et cetera. Get the ball rolling that way instead of just short-sighting it almost, mm -hmm. um, and just assuming that you just need to get them moving better, and um, this is just a one-hour thing, and that one-hour thing could be a <laughs> a two-year, three-time a week PT. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, um, so let's talk specifically about how to over-deliver with clients, and I'm specifically thinking about clients you already have. So not just the class setting now, yeah. but like you have a personal training client. You sign your first client, they sign up with 10 sessions with you. How do you turn those 10 sessions into 30 sessions or turn that into you know, a referral from two other people that they work with? Yeah. And I think preparation is the biggest thing that's missing for personal trainers is being early to class, being early to your training sessions and being prepared. And um, that looks like planning out the programming in advance, not trying to wing it. It looks like having a lesson plan for that, that hour that you're working with that person, having that on a whiteboard so you're not having to check your phone during that session, um, having like a stopwatch ready, dressing like a coach, yeah. like having your coach shirt on if you have that for your gym or if you don't have a coach shirt, then get a branded shirt from your gym and wear that. All those little things are the details that are going to make or break you. Yeah. And I also think going even beyond that is listening to what they say. Um, I have a, a client who, when she first signed up, she said, I'm going to try you for 10, 10 classes. I was like, what? <laughs> That's a weird way to put it. But okay. Like, like in my head, I'm like, well, I'm going to crush these 10. Like you're for sure coming back for 10. And it's funny because, well, before COVID, she, I mean, she lives in New York. So before COVID, she was coming like every two weeks. Um, and it's funny. I was like, hey, you can buy like this bigger package. It's cheaper for you. She's like, no, I'm going to keep it at the 10 pack. Like you deserve it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, like that's on you. Um, but the big thing was like listening to exactly what she was saying as not complaints, but just like things that would come out of her mouth. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll make sure that doesn't happen next time. So some simple things were like, Hey, when I, when I was doing sit-ups, like, um, it wasn't super comfortable to do it on the floor, even though she had an ab mat. So it's like, okay, next time when she came, I made sure that I had a mat ready for her with an ab mat on top of it. Mm -hmm. 
when she would say something like, um, you know, like I, it was really hot because we have an upstairs part in our gym and it does get a little bit warmer up there. Yeah. I just made sure the next time I had a fan in our little station. So to me, like those are little things that she would notice that aren't big deals. They take me two seconds to do, but those two second things could have made like her sign up for the next 10 or the next 10. And it's funny because the only reason she signed up with me and the only reason this even happened is because I did a PT with her husband. Um, he came here on a whim when they first bought a house here and he didn't understand what the group classes were about. He didn't do group training in New York. Um, and he, when he signed up, he just signed up for one PT session with me and we did one PT session. And I really honestly never saw him again. He went back to New York. When he came back, he actually signed up for the group classes and he's like an, a lover of beach fit. So he actually doesn't want to do PT anymore, which is great by me. But then he's like, would you want to try a PT with my wife? He's like, you were so nice to me in my one hour PT. He's like, I know you would do that with her too. So it's like, I got a sale based off a one hour PT that uh, she's probably done 50, 60 sessions at this point. And it was an almost every two week thing before COVID hit. And she texts me almost <laughs> every other day asking like how things are going down here. Like, when can I come back? Yada, yada, yada. So to me, besides all the little details you hit, it's just like listening to what they say and like really take those to heart because those little corrections can make a big deal. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting example because that's, that's someone who's, who, who is a PT client. Yeah. Like she, she will specifically say she doesn't like the group classes. She, I think she trains at Equinox back home. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like literally tried to convince Austin to charge her more money for yeah. her sessions because she feels bad only paying us 90 bucks to 100 bucks a session. Yeah. Um, and that's a different type of client than your group class client. But a lot of your PT clients are going to be more in that category where um, they want to pay, they want a higher end service. And I just think of that as like a really good way to look at all the details of how you could improve. Like, are you, do you necessarily have to have a mat, a fan, a water bottle, all that stuff ready for every single client? No, but it's also showing us that if I wanted to go that level and I wanted to really offer a premium service, there's a million things I'm overlooking if I'm just saying, oh yeah, I'm going to do good programming in that and I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. And me personally as a coach, like I have this very high standard of like what the facility should look like from a cleanliness standpoint and things like that. But then you have to take into consideration the gym that she's coming from. Like Equinox is gorgeous. Like yeah. they have like state of the art equipment, like the machines, they're amazing. And then she now transitions to a, a, a functional fitness gym where it's like, we don't have machines. So every time I program for her, she asks questions and I have to be prepared of like why we're doing this and why this is like very similar to what you would do on the whatever machine and how this is working essentially the same thing and how she's coming off a knee injury. So why we're doing this and what it's just being prepared, honestly, all it comes down to is being hundred percent prepared and everything. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's little details that I feel like are the most overlooked that have the biggest um, influence on sales later on. Yeah. Um, communication is a really big one and I see this happening more with programming clients yeah. than personal training clients like if you have a personal training client that's training with you three to four days a week you have three to four hours of in-person time with them it's pretty hard to screw up the communication with that yeah. but I find with programming clients that if you're not picking up the phone often especially when that first person first starts with you then it's something's going to go wrong with that experience yep. and you need to have that over the phone or in person 
contact to be able to work through some of those initial reservations. I mean, a lot of times people just, they don't really understand the exact service they were gonna pay for prior to signing up. So they need that like two week checkup call to, to make sure and, they, and they're gonna bring those to the table. Some of those things that were like, yeah, I wasn't sure it was gonna work this way or I didn't know it was gonna be this much volume or this much time. And then you can start to make adjustments quickly. And if you do have programming clients, anytime they mention something in their notes, they might do a workout and put some in the notes, use that as a, a window of opportunity to, to step in and dive deeper. And that could be, again, asking questions through the, the portal that you're using. We use True Coach for ours, um, but it could be just picking up the phone or texting them and saying, hey, I, I saw you said, you, you mentioned your shoulder was bothering you during the workout. Like, how painful was that? Like, start to dig on those things and don't just leave it yep. at, at face value. Yeah, I said earlier that I think my biggest mistake was having clients that I didn't love programming for, but I think now that I really think about it, I think my biggest mistake is as a communicator, not being specific enough with goals that they may have or what exactly they want to get out of whatever sessions we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of clients who um, had a skill that they wanted to get. Let's say it was a muscle up. And I would work the client and they would eventually get the muscle up. Well, what do you do once they get the reason they signed up? And it's like in their head, they want to get to five muscle ups so like technically the one wasn't actually the goal like in their head they're like i still want more but you in your head are like we did it mm -hmm. like we just you know got to your goal so they might not be 100 percent satisfied with <laughs> whatever they had signed up for because you weren't clear enough on exactly what the goals were so my big tip would be like you have to be so specific and they need to write it down and when you guys write it down you have to lay out a game plan of exactly how it's going to work i had um people who didn't have their first muscle up, who wanted to work towards one, who didn't yet have the prerequisite strength or what, what I would consider the prerequisite mm -hmm. strength. And to them, it wasn't sexy work, which I totally get because why is doing pull-ups and negatives and things like that fun? It's not, um, but if you want to get a muscle up, like that's what it actually takes. And they're like, well, when am I going to start doing like turnovers and things like that? I'm like, well, when you can prove to me that this is what you can do. But I didn't do a good job of explaining that to them. So I was just assuming they would believe me and do what I was asking. And I think they would have had I given them exactly what my plans were, but I didn't. They were going, they were signing up with me strictly because someone else had a muscle up that I'd right. worked with, um, not understanding exactly what that person had gone through. Right. So to them, they're like, well, that person was like on the rings like every day. And I'm like, well, you didn't see the first three to right. four months of them doing nothing. Or in some cases, that person already had the prerequisite strength. Yeah, And exactly. they were missing the skill. And they're missing the skill component of it. Right. Yeah, so there's a lot of that. And there's, I mean, you can name the movement, you can name the strength, whatever it is. Like, everyone's going to be completely different. And as a coach, you have to, once you hear their goal, you have to set exactly what it's going to take to get there. Yeah. Even if it's rehabbing injury and they're like, how long is this gonna take? Like. You need to have a pretty good guesstimate, and it, it, it doesn't have to be exact, but like, hey, I don't think we can get this fixed before six months. Yeah. So it's like, if you're not ready to commit for six months, like, I don't know if we're gonna be the best to work together. Yeah, I like to start that conversation by asking what would success look like to you? Yeah. And usually assigning a timeline, usually you start to get a feel through a conversation of what timeline that person has in their head. So, and then if you don't, a good way to go is, hey, what does success look like to you in 90 days? Because 90 days is just a great 
starting timeline for a lot of people. And if their goal, let's say their shoulder's bothering them, okay? It's one, define what the pain is. It's a seven out of 10, okay? Right now, I'm hearing from you that your, your shoulder pain is a seven out of 10, and it's basically 24 seven during the day. It hurts during workouts, it hurts when you're at home. So knowing that, what does success look like for you in 90 days? Mm -hmm. For some people, they're gonna say, I wanna, be, I wanna be a zero out of 10. I wanna be able to do all this stuff. I wanna be able to RX workouts. I wanna be able to do all that stuff. For someone else, you're gonna be like, I just wanna see progress. Honestly, yeah. I wanna be able to go to sleep at night and not be in pain. Yep. And now they're very clear on what they want. You're very clear on what they want. And that might mean getting their pain to a two or three out of a 10 instead of a zero out of 10. Yep. Um, another thing that I would encourage people to do is to give themselves multiple ways to win. So, yeah. let, so keeping on that theme of what would success look like, I would pose a counter thing. So let's go to the muscle up example, okay? Someone says, well, I would love to get a muscle up in 90 days. And you go, honestly, I don't think that's realistic to get a muscle up in 90 days. I would say six months is probably more real, of a realistic timeline. Knowing that, what would success look like to you in, in 90 days? As a coach, my thinking is that I wanna get you five strict pull-ups and five strict dips in 90 days. How does that feel to you? And maybe that's starting to lay out your progression for them and seeing if that would feel like success or not to them. Yeah, we, so a good example of this is, um, she actually moved because her husband was in the military, but she's like, you know, I've been doing CrossFit for, it was like six or seven years at this point. She's like, all I want to do is get a bar muscle up. She's like, that's, that's literally it. And I was like, she's like, so I'm going to trust you. She's like three months. She's like, I have three months to get a bar muscle up. I'm like, okay, like, so let's go through all this testing. Let's go through everything, see where you're at. And I remember when we did the test in the back of my head, I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if she's actually going to get to that, to that mark. And I remember telling her like, we're gonna work really, really hard, but three months might be like cutting it just a little too short. Like, I was like, but I promise, like we're gonna try everything. And she's like, okay, she's like, I'll just do whatever you say. So fast forward three months, she literally did exactly what I said. And I remember we had our one last session before she was packing up and moving, I think it was like to Texas. And she's like, I don't know, like, I don't know. I'm like, well, we'll see where we're at. And she ended up getting the muscle up on the last session of three months and I was like to me that was a complete mind shift change for me because I was like wow like I I personally had to completely believe in the process she completely bought into the process and we were both on equal playing fields of like this might not work like three months I was like I was very honest and like three months might be cutting it short and in her head she's like that might be right because I've been doing this for six or seven years and I still haven't got it she's yeah. like but to her three months like what is there to lose I either get it or I don't get it um which was cool so she was completely bought in but yeah the, the last day she ended up getting the muscle up um so for me like I have to take that into other conversations with different athletes about like I have to be that brutally honest like hey this is your goal but I'm not like I don't know if it's going to be this time it might actually take this much time like are you willing to do that and if they're willing to do that it's probably someone pretty good to work with if they're like no I want it like by this point it's gonna be really tough <laughs> yeah yeah that's that that puts a lot of pressure on you as a coach and a lot of times those ones don't aren't as fun yeah um yeah it's I like what we're talking about being very specific with the goal Another way that I think 
coaches can can set themselves up for success is give themselves really multiple ways to win. So we've talked like this person has this goal. How do we get them either to that goal or some some percentage of that goal? Sixty percent of the way there, eighty yeah. percent of the way there. But oftentimes that one goal isn't just the only goal that they have. And I think if if you as a coach can agree that there's other things they're trying to achieve, then you can actually set yourself up for success to win. So like we have again going back to pain pain conversation. Someone has a seven out of ten pain, they might set up PT sessions, some programming to get out of pain. But maybe this person's newer to the gym, they need a lot of technique help. Maybe they've had back issues in the past. So they're coming to you for a shoulder issue, but they've actually had back issues in the past. So one of the things in the back of their mind is like, I actually wanna feel much more confident in my technique, my bracing, my, my back in general. So that's off the table as well in the future. I wanna be able to get a pull up or something. Like it could be a performance goal. It might be something lifestyle related. Mm -hmm. I also wanna get my sleep dialed in and my nutrition dialed in a little bit. And maybe it's simple enough where you can help with some accountability in that regard. So I think if you can find multiple ways to succeed while also keeping yourself focused on the main reason they came to you, which would be to get out of pain in their shoulder, then you could get them maybe to a five out of 10 in their shoulder, which wasn't quite to their goal, but you gave them two or three other things that were also amazing and they're still with you then. And that just buys you time to then get them to the three out of 10, which you're gonna get them to eventually, but now you're not, to the strict timeline to get them there. Yeah, I. <laughs> one of my favorite athletes I've worked with. It was it was actually her shoulder that was bothering her, and it was for like overhead pressing movements um, specifically, and it was weird pressing movements like things you wouldn't consider like a wall ball. Like mm -hmm. it's actually like coming down on the wall ball and the throwing like so different movements, not just like a dumbbell strict press. So with her, when I'm when I would push too much in the, the realm of like, she's too focused on her shoulder, um, it would actually take us a step back because she would mentally be so like involved with it. Mm. So every day she's like, oh, no, no improvement, nope, no mm. improvement, nope. But what I realized later on was like, if I only give her like one to two things a week to do on her shoulder, and then her other issue was like her like right hip or something, um, and if I gave her, which wasn't that big of a deal to her, she was fine living with the right hip thing, mm -hmm. but she was not fine living with the shoulder thing. But when I switched a little bit and went more like barely focused on the shoulder, but let's focus on this hip too, it shifted her mindset of like, she didn't have to think about her shoulder every single day. Um, the modifications were already made for her so she could just look at her app, figure out what she needed to do, come in and do it. So that thought process was gone. But what ended up happening is magically, like her progress, progression, or at least in her mind, the pain tolerance progression was moving quicker, even though we were doing less. Yeah. Um, not necessarily less work, but just like her app didn't look like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you need to do this um, work for your shoulder. It was like Monday, Tuesday, do this, and then maybe Friday, do this. And in the middle, you're going to do this, mm -hmm. which that little break in the week took her mind completely off of her shoulder. Um, which I still got the amount of work I needed her to do in where I could actually make progress. But for her, it was like a mental relief of like, okay, I don't, I don't have to, you know, worry about this every single day mm -hmm. um, because it does take time. And, you know, when they sign up with you, they do have an expectation of something coming from it. And as a coach, you kind of have to set the line of like, you know, I, it, it could be like four months from now. 
But to them, even when you tell them four months, every day they're expecting a little, a little thing to change. So like Drew said, if you can create little wins. So for her, it was like, we did a workout like two weeks in of like working on her hip. She's like, oh, I didn't, my hip wasn't clicking today. Mm -hmm. Like it felt a little bit different. So to her, that was like a complete win, even though it had nothing yeah. to do with what we originally had signed her up to, to work on. So things like that are good examples. And um, yeah, just always allowing them to feel a win, I think is super important and overlooked. Um, you, you don't always have to be the guy who's like, nope, you gotta work for it. Like there's little wins you can give them that yeah. will keep them mentally involved um, and in check and yeah, keep the process moving in a good direction. Um, because as we know as coaches like no progression happens in this perfect linear line yeah. like there's going to be there's going to be a day when they accidentally like do something they do maybe a little bit too much volume it gets inflamed and they think they're all the way back at zero mm -hmm. which in turn like from where they started to where they are now they are in a such better place and you know in like two days it's going to be fine it'll be calmed down and they'll be, be able to pick up right where they left off so you've got to kind of lay that timeline out for them give them clear expectations and yeah, giving them wins along the way is so important. Yeah, and and making sure make sure that they are bought into this. Like, so you could again, someone comes to you for a shoulder injury, you do a movement assessment. We would do a full body movement assessment. Yeah. Assessment. We use Active Life's movement assessment, and you might find that they have major issues in your in their hips. You need to be able to present that to the person and say, hey. Like, I really wanna work on your shoulder. Part of this could actually be coming from the issues in your hips because it's all it's all mm -hmm. tied all together, together yeah. right? But you can't get so focused where you're saying, you know what, we're not even gonna focus on the shoulder. We're only gonna work on your hips. And then you've, you've sort of ignored the thing that they came for you for. Yeah. So it's really important that when you're having those conversations, say, hey, you did come to me with the shoulder, but I just want to let you know, really from the movement assessment, the most alarming thing to me is your hips. So I don't wanna ignore those all together. Um, have you had any issues with your hips? Have you had any issues with your back? And you might learn something through that conversation that they're like, yeah, I've actually had major issues. It hasn't bothered me recently, but I would love to incorporate that into what we're doing. Can we do that? And then you're like, they're like super bought in because now they feel like they're getting into two for one deal out of it versus you bring that up and they're like, ah, I've really never had issues with mm. my hips. I really just want to get the shoulder better. And you're like, okay, well, I'll kind of do the bare minimum to make sure that the hips are moving in the right direction because I think there's a lot of stability there that's needed in order for the shoulder to improve. But yeah, we'll focus on the shoulder for you. And like you, you've let them choose the path. You haven't chosen that for them. And I'm sure we'll get to it, but we ask questions that will line us up to get those answers. Um, and with the questions that we ask, it's basically an ask a question and then see what they're going to give us. Um, so yeah, I, I think the mo one of the most important things you can do is like, listen to what they're saying. Don't just try to, you know, jump to the next thing you are planning to say, but like, have a good, li we, I mean, if, are we going to go over the questions we're going to ask that we asked the active life ones? Uh, we weren't planning to, but if there's anything you want to touch on, you can. Yeah. I, I, so, um, we went through the Active Life course, and I mean, I think he has a podcast where he kind of gives these questions out yep. for free, but it's six questions that they ask um, potential clients that they um, want to work with, and kind of how to get a gauge of where they are in the process. Things like, like what have you done um, currently to actually work on this? So let's say someone has a shoulder injury, it's like, what have you done for your shoulder to potentially make that better? Yeah. So those questions are going to open up a bunch of things. They're like, well, sometimes I do like a banded stretch on the rig. 
And then your next question after that is like, okay, has that worked? And why has that not worked if it hasn't? And then they can give you a spiel from that. So you can start giving all these answers like well before you guys even start working together as an athlete. And I think um, if you are one of the coaches who are scared to make you know, the final closing sale, you can't look at it like that. You have to look at it like you're just digging really deep with an individual. And if you can dig deep enough um, where you can kind of get them maybe into a movement assessment, honestly, you, you've almost done the, the hard part itself. Like if you can mm -hmm. be honest enough with them, give them enough feedback, give them direction, give them hope, like, I mean, that part's, that part's easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last thing I want to touch on was just how important I think the personal relationship is to this because what I've seen, and this is from even prior to being in like CrossFit functional fitness type gyms, but like the people who work with trainers for long periods of time, most of that just comes down to like a relationship that they have, a rapport that they have with that trainer. And that seems to endure a lot of long-term personal training relationships beyond just the tangible results. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm huge on this idea that if we can create a deep connection with someone, if we can make it fun for both of us, that buys us time to create results. So it, again, we know results are not linear. We know there's going to be ups and downs. So how can you, during those down moments, still have this person really excited to work with you? So that way you have more time to create those up mo moments, right? Because if you have a client, if I have a client for three years and Austin has a client for six months, he might be a better programmer. He might be way better. But if I have that person for three years, I guarantee I'm going to have a deeper impact and create better results inside the gym and outside the gym than he can do in six months. And that comes down to how much do you excel in that personal connection? Yeah. And, it, and I think that comes down to how deep are the conversations you guys had from the get-go? Because if you've been with someone for three years, like you probably know that person pretty good. <laughs> like three years is a long time. And the amount of conversations you would have in three years worth of one hour, potentially, you know, sessions, like that adds up. And, you know, if you are with like a, a straightforward, like PT client, you'll understand that a lot of it is just you guys chatting, like in between sets, it's a lot of downtime, a lot of downtime, like when they're resting, you guys aren't really doing anything except talking. And it's like, you start building this bond, this relationship. And then what that allows you to do is be even more honest with them later on. So if there is, you know, something they that's bothering them or ends up bothering them, like you're kind of the person they want to go to with it anyway, which just keeps that sale going. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then referrals was another thing I want to touch on. And we've hit on it a little bit that that really is the best way to grow yeah. your business. Have you ever had to actively ask for it? Have you tried that Austin or is it mostly just letting stuff come to you? So really the only time I've ever actively asked for it would be with, you know, some like an individual who came, let's say for our 40 day to fit program. And I think, I still think that you can do a well enough job that they're going to do it regardless. But if you're like, hey, like if you really enjoyed this and you can see anyone in your family like needing this or anyone you know needing mm -hmm. this, like, like give them my number. Like I would love to help them. Like hopefully I helped you. But as far as like my personal training clients go, like, no, I've never really asked for referrals. I've gotten a, like, actually all of them really have been referrals um, just from like, hey, I talked to so-and-so and they said, you might be able to help me with this. So it's mm -hmm. like, I, I basically the only referrals I get are just referrals from a, a job I did well. So that's basically the way I ask for them. I don't try to, you know, mm -hmm. really push 
referrals on anyone. Um, and I don't think you have to if you are excelling in, in those, those categories. I agree. <laughs> nice. That's all I have. Did you have anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Hopefully this helps you grow your book of business. See you on the next one.